Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Scott Groves uh, with my new friend, actually Vegas local Jake Gallen, and he's the co-founder of Native Research. We're filming this in early uh, May of 2022 as the crypto markets are completely melting down. And although Jake and I were planning to talk, this is perfect timing because he is a a crypto consultant, knows kind of everything in the space about NFTs, which I don't even know what those are, but you're going to explain. Um, He's he's doing a lot of consulting. He just spoke at UNLV on kind of different dynamics of working on the strip because, like I said, long time in Vegas, worked on the strip for five years, has a podcast called the Jake Gallon, G-A-L-L. L-E-N podcast. I used to interview just kind of like uh, uh, Vegas socialites and Vegas uh, influencers and then got into the crypto space how long ago? Tell us the Reader's Digest version of how Jake gets into crypto. Oh man, the story goes on forever. I I first discovered Ethereum summer of 2016 on Reddit actually. At the time it was called Ethereum Project. Ethereum was had just launched within the last year. I think it was under a dollar. I had just graduated college about six months before I found it. I didn't really understand anything from finance. I went to UNLV for kinesiology, health science. <laughs> Typical thing at UNLV, everyone majors in something you do the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> but you did have six pack abs. I've seen the fraternity, the fraternity <laughs> pictures. I've seen the pool parties. So apparently you at least know something about health and fitness. Uh, so kinesiology, and then you, you read on Reddit that there's this new thing called crypto and Ethereum. Ethereum, and they start talking about the idea of smart contracts and disintermediating uh, middlemen of, of various industries and it, it sounded really interesting to me and I had just started working at Omnia had been about a year and a half working at Omnia nightclub which was the number one nightclub uh, in Las Vegas had Calvin Harris and Tiesto and pretty much all the big names so I had some capital I I didn't actually buy Ethereum but I continued to follow the the Reddit and I actually unfortunately went into Forex right <laughs> I don't know why so I started trading Forex, started learning the financial markets. And then it wasn't until early 2017, a family friend was creating a altcoin, which I'm not going to name because it pretty much went to zero and it was, it, it, it'll come back into the story. Perfect. I invested in the altcoin. Then I started looking into, into Bitcoin, started looking into Satoshi Nakamoto and went down what's known as the crypto rabbit hole. Started intensely researching 12 hours a day for two weeks and I was like without a doubt this is this is the future and from that day on I think my first crypto purchase was April of 2020 or April of 2017 April 2017 yep and um, uh went all in literally ni- probably about 95 percent of my net worth ever since has been tied up into crypto uh, kind of going back and forth with arbitrage opportunities and made made a bunch of money trading what's called shit coins, which is pretty much anything that's not Bitcoin and Ethereum at the time. At so shit coins, the, the the stories we hear about people making a million dollars in six months with Shibu, Ibu, it's Nibu, true. Back whatever. back back then, it was even more astronomical. It was just ICO phase where anything all you had to do was basically just put out a white paper without even putting out a blockchain. You could raise four billion dollars, which is what EOS pretty much did. Uh, it was it was just ludicrous times, and I throughout 2017 I probably put up about four times what my income was, my yearly income at the nightclub, and I took all of it, every single dollar of it, or every single sat I should say, sat is the smallest denomination of Bitcoin, put it into an ICO of the friend that had originally introduced me to crypto, and it went to zero, so I lost everything in 2018, right as the bear market took over. And I was like, all right, back to square one. So throughout the week. It's so wait a minute, wait, we're going to go back. We got to go back. So 
I, I feel like there's two types of crypto investors, and we're going to get to what crypto even is because I, I, I honestly, I kind of understand it and the spreadsheet theory and the moat around the castle theory and millions of castle theories and all this other shit. I kind of get it, but I don't really get it. But I feel like there's two people. There's like the bro that cashed out and bought a Lamborghini and like just can't stop talking about how awesome crypto is. And then the person that lost everything and kind of slithers away and they never talk about it on social. <laughs> but you actually lost everything and you're you're back for round two and you're still talking about it openly. Oh, so, yeah. So one, why? And two, why do you still have faith in something like, it took me 10 years to get back into the stock market after Washington Mutual went to zero because I worked for Washington Mutual found out, whoops, a bunch of my 401k was in Washington Mutual common stock. Washington Mutual goes bankrupt. And I'm like, oh, that 401k that should have doubled many times by the time I turned 65 and been millions of dollars went to zero. <laughs> and my financial planner, when I started making money again, he's like, you got to put some money in the market. You got to put some, fuck you. I'm not putting any money in the stock market. It's all rigged. It's all going to zero. So what gave you, just tell me, like you go to zero and then and then you're still in it. Yeah, I, I never lost faith that it was the financial system of the future. To me, it just completely made self, self-sovereignty, that the technicals, being your own bank. And I think just how crypto culture is that it's, yes, you get wrecked, but it's almost like the this the same type of ecosystem as Wall Street Bets, if you're ever in that, in that uh, subreddit, which I was in that before I was even in crypto. It's just about like, yes, everyone's getting wrecked. There's a lot of scams. You can make a lot of wealth, but you still have a support system there and everyone still has the same belief. It's just, you have to understand volatility and you have to be able to, to stomach it. And everyone has that humbling moment. I had that humbling moment in Forex where uh, I was trading during the Trump Hillary election day and completely got wrecked and blew out my account and almost quit. But I knew that I needed to understand this. I, I I believed that the world was becoming like a hyper-financialized system. And then when I got into crypto, it was kind of the same thing. And after I lost everything, it was almost double-digit Bitcoin. I think it was seven and a half or eight Bitcoin is what I had invested into ICO from what I had made. And that's when Bitcoin is at 20,000? Like, it, are we talking about you lost yeah, 100 grand, 200 grand? It was, yeah. I think Bitcoin was 15K, 16K, something like that. So you're somewhere around 200 grand. It's something like that at the gone. time, yeah. And that was pretty much 95% of, like, my net worth at the time. Oh. And I was just getting really risky. It was a project that I believed in. And uh, I had, with the, with the project that I won't name, because I still have, like, legal things to go through, um, I had... The cryptocurrency, I had I had it on my on my uh, desktop. You know, I was engaging with their their network and their meetings. I watched them go present at the United Nations. So it was happening. The and this is what happens with most, not just crypto businesses, but everything else. Insider fraud. The CEO pretty much ran off with most of the money. Yeah, and locked so them out. Explain this to me. Like I launch, uh, I launch the on the edge podcast, the OTEP coin, right? So I have the on the edge podcast coin, and. I put it out there. I put a white paper about how this is going to be the way that podcasters trade in currency. So, you know, I give you two OTEP coins for coming on the podcast. And eventually there will be some stock of value there because we're only going to make a limited number of coins like Bitcoin and uh, it's going to go out. So I don't understand the mechanism for it to go to zero. Like I understand the mechanism if, if GE or Apple goes to zero tomorrow, you know, turns out Apple was dumping arsenic in the lake and and you know they're they're getting uh, you know they're they're getting investigated and the stock goes to zero and the company goes bankrupt and like the the company structure doesn't exist anymore i understand how a company goes to zero and even then they have some physical assets left over i don't understand like when a when a altcoin or or a cryptocurrency goes to zero does that mean that the owner took the i'm just gonna use round numbers hundred million dollars worth of coins 
somewhere behind the scene, he had a little algorithm or code where he could switch it over to Bitcoin and then everybody just turns into zero or does the market lose faith and it crashes to zero? Like, I don't understand. Is it a scam or is it bad business or what? Uh, it's a combination of both. And also I think it depends on what time period of crypto you're talking about. When, when I got rugged in 2018, the DeFi didn't exist. NFTs didn't, NFTs existed, but they weren't popular. CryptoKitties was around and kind of brought down the Ethereum network at the time. But back when I got rugged, there was no such thing as like liquidity pools, which is what exists in DeFi, which which we could probably dive into. Could so, you define DeFi just for people? Yeah, so, no so DeFi is a subsection of crypto, a decentralized finance. Technically, everything is decentralized finance. It's basically, it started out on Ethereum. I'll speak just about Ethereum for now because Perfect. it's what most people are, are aware of. It's a uh, DeFi are just decentralized financial instruments that are built on top of Ethereum. So think of like options trading, but okay. now there's a decentralized options trading platform, borrow and lending, decentralized borrowing and lending. Got it. So instead of having a middleman, right, or having a broker, you're interacting with a smart contract who plays the escrow service essentially. Okay. And that so you, you could, me. you could do that with anything, margin trading, literally anything that exists on, um, the stock market or you people are now even creating things like synthetics which are yeah. synthetic derivatives so like instead of we having you know that's what crashed the mortgage markets right yes, like it's like no yes, it's, yes, we yes. just haven't learned from that yeah so instead of having apple you could have something that's called s apple which is just synthetic apple which kind of just follows the price of apple but is traded in as a as a token of course, it's uh, illegal in America, so other places it's not. There's a decentralized finance. You can't really stop it. Crypto is right. kind of this movement where it moves, like Mark Zuckerberg's quote with, with Facebook was move fast and break things. Crypto moves so fast, most people don't even realize things are broken until it's too late, and that's kind of what led to this, uh, this recent... Uh, Luna fiasco, which uh, we'll hold off on that because that, well, that'll be a whole different topic. Yeah, let's why, come, why everything melted melted down. Let's but, go back to to to. We'll come back to Luna, yeah to I, getting to getting rugged. I, I, yeah, I want no. I, I want to kind of talk about that libertarian promise of like because I'm a libertarian, so I love. Oh, that's I, what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin yeah. is founded by libertarians. Yeah, I I love the concept of like decentralized banking, the government. You know, I, the the thing that first made me realize how important like uh, digital currency could be. I grew up in Glendale, California, in the early '80s. Mass migration of uh, Iranians, Iranians, um, Lebanese, uh, because like those countries were in turmoil, right? And so somebody told me they're like, Scott, how many times have you heard the story of like the immigrant who's like, oh, I was a doctor in my country, but there was a civil war, or the Shah of Iran fell, or the Beirut bombing. And we just had to flee the country literally with like a suitcase. We left everything. And then I got here and the only thing I had credentials to be was a taxi driver. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that story probably 200 times growing up in Glendale, California. They're like, well, now imagine if that person could put their entire net worth on a thumb drive and smuggle it out of their country with terrifying. them. And, and I'm like, <laughs> but also great. I'm like, that's great. Yeah, I, I didn't even think terrifying. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. All these people that had assets, like had they, you know, had the poor guy in Iran who's a business owner had... 10%, 20% of his assets on a thumb drive, you know, by the time he got to France or Montreal or Glendale, California, because that seems to be where all the Armenians and Iranians came uh, during the 80s. It's like, that would have made a ton, that made a ton of sense to me. I'm like, okay, now I get the why. I still don't understand the how. And so as a, as a libertarian, I posted just the other day, I was like, 
and when we can get to the Luna and the meltdown, I was like, the fact that the um, crypto markets are now kind of moving in tandem with the stock market, and they just seem to be like another correlated assets to all the other world assets. I'm like, well, they've kind of, they've kind of not delivered, or they ha not kind of, they have not delivered on their promise. For now, for of, now. For now, that's what I keep hearing, for now, but that's kind for of- For now, crypto, go, every year crypto uh, becomes correlated with a different asset. In 2017, it was correlated with gold, so kind of followed the, the movement of gold. Uh, during the COVID crash in 2020, it followed the S&P, and now it's tracking the NASDAQ. Interesting. So I think that has to do kind of just from a, a psychological standpoint, but it becomes, uh, it becomes more specialized to the correlation because I, if I believe, I haven't looked at the data, uh, Bitcoin was tracking oil, I think, even during the Mt. Gox days in 2015, 2014 kind of era. So it, it started with like these macro assets and then it's become more and more specialized, right? The S&P is, or oil is larger than gold. And then you have uh, gold is larger than the S&P and then S&P is larger than NASDAQ. So then whatever it is in a year or two, whenever we come out of this like bear market, it'll probably track something a little bit smaller and it'll be the narrative because crypto is kind of just a faith-based system, right? That's a, the thing that a lot of boomers say is it has no intrinsic value, right? Right. But the internet decides that it's intrinsic. So it becomes this idea of like, what is value? And I think this is also why NFTs are kind of going super crazy, which I have a crazy NFT story, which we'll, we'll, we'll go into as well. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the whole thing about the, it has no intrinsic value. I'm like, well, the US dollar technically mm -hmm. yeah, has no like intrinsic what, value. What, if, if I ask you what backs the US dollar, what, what would your answer be? Yeah, faith. That's it. That's it. Because it doesn't back gold anymore. And like, if you were just an alien that, were, that was landing on the planet today, and you were like, this one country called the US has favored nation status where they've rigged the game where like their stock market, their dollars as the primary trading source for uh, gold and oil, like they have this favored nation status where they can go trillions of dollars into debt and it doesn't seem to affect them yet. You would think that's crazy. So it's like, just because we're used to dollars, I'm trying not to discount the value of cryptocurrency because I want it to work. Like the libertarian side of my brain really wants this to work. I just, I've seen so many people get the rug pulled out from underneath them. And, uh, you know, most of the people that I know that have won, I think, are raving douchebags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and that's not some, like, jealousy thing. I'm saying Or did it turn them into douchebags? No, they were already douchebags. Money mm, just amplified yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, it's like they, they probably had a, this, like, douchebaggery gene in them where it allowed them to take the risk that most other people wouldn't take. Um, but I just, like, I, I have this weird, like, love-hate relationship with the idea of Bitcoin. So back to the rug being pulled out from underneath you. You take basically all your net worth in... Um, in crypto that you've saved up, that you've built, that has grown from five years of bussing and, and No, no, from to... one year. From 2017, I was trading because okay. I got into it in 2017. Got I it. invested early 2018 into the ICO. Okay. It eventually goes to zero. So then I didn't, I don't realize this until about towards the end of summer 2018. I'm still working at the nightclub. I'm working at Omnia. Working at the nightclubs here, you make an insane amount of money for doing nothing as a busser. Pretty much you slang ice and juice to billionaires. And uh, it's a good gig. yeah, it's a great, it's a great gig. It's a toxic environment, which is kind of the, one of the main reasons why I left. I ended up doing a three year stint of sobriety because I got so off the rails working at the nightclub that right. uh, I had to pull myself back into, uh, into the right zone and into right. entrepreneurship. So towards the, the middle of 2018, I started taking about half of what I was making at the nightclub per month and buying specifically Bitcoin and Dogecoin. Those were the two. And this is 2018 and 2019 leading up to the COVID pandemic. 
before uh, everything almost went to zero where I thought everything was going to go to zero. Um, that Black Friday or Thursday or whatever that day was where Bitcoin went a giant minus 50% candle in one day. I had just gotten laid off and... Good timing, huh? Uh, just, just had stripped it, just closed, just had gotten laid off from the nightclub. I built Bitcoin and all the other markets went down. Bitcoin minus 50% candle in one day. And I had maybe like 10,000, 15,000 in my name. And I was like, holy shit, this is, uh, is going to be a rough time. Uh, and this is all in like crypto value. But I still had a large bag of Dogecoin that I'd been buying. And I'd been buying these two specifically because Bitcoin, I, I felt the narrative was like that it was going to be the reserve currency of the internet. Not maybe it'll be of the world, but if the when the world eventually moves to become mostly digitally dominant, then it'll be the reserve currency of the world, but it'll be reserve currency of the internet for now. And then Dogecoin, because I started understanding the power of memes, uh, crypto has kind of pioneered meme marketing, and it has this like incentive tied to it to where the users market the currency through memes because most of crypto's communication goes through Twitter, or the high majority, ninety percent of it does. And you just post memes to get it going. So I, I saw that memes were getting tied to this this Dogecoin. And I kind of saw the communities forming around it. So I said, if the, if the internet ever figures out what this is, it's going to go absolutely ballistic. And that's literally what it, what exactly happened. Um, got through the... I uh, started my podcast. Uh, By the way, so did you... Did you do we have like a, a happy ending on Dogecoin? Oh, yeah. We'll get to it. Yeah, okay, we'll get perfect. to it. So strip closed down and... I had a you know I had some Bitcoin and some Dogecoin to my name, and I was like, "What do I do now?" So I started a podcast. Of course, at, that's at what the time, does, yeah, right. That's why that's what we did. Yeah. What do we do? April yeah. twenty twenty, you're at home. You're like, "Well, got to do something." <laughs> right, right. I'm real bored. So, oh, and and during that time too, I had started. I had my first business was an antique store I owned with my father for two years, and then I also tried to create an app called Chameleon Verify Network. Uh, both of those were closed down by the pandemic. By the time pandemic started. Uh, Chameleon was a ticket verification app basically to, to just have the story short. We had this app that fought ticket fraud. People could scan the ticket. It would tell you if it's real. And then if you were selling it to somebody, uh, to, to a flipper or something, then you can rate the person kind of like Uber. So kind of had the safety measure. We saw the pandemic happening. And so we closed it because we're like this industry. There's going to be no live fucked. events for There's two no, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is fucked. And so, uh, once I started the, the, uh, once I started the podcast, I started tapping into my entrepreneur network. In college at UNLV, I was in AEPI, which is the Jewish fraternity, and I'd been born and raised here, so I had like this weird network of assortment of people. But I had realized that most of the podcasts that existed in Vegas only talked about the Strip. It was very like TMZ, like very Paris Hilton's on the Strip, yeah, or, the or or this owner of the casino is cheating on his wife with these four girls, and yeah. to me, like that, like yeah, that's cool and all. I always believed that Vegas would be like one of the marquee cities of the entire world, which is kind of what it's grown to be. But there was nobody that was talking with the people in Vegas. People's is probably, to, in my opinion, it's the most diverse city in the entire country. Right. It's a melting pot of, of culture, politics, entertainment. Industry is starting to get there and various other uh, degrees, and disciplines as well. So... My first two guests that I had on the podcast were two nurses. One one of the nurses, uh, Kathy Chow, worked in the uh, ICU respiratory division at the hospital. She had one of the first COVID patients in the city. 
And so I had her on. She told me the experience, figured out what's going on. And the podcast blew up instantly. A few hundred downloads. Blowing up, that's Vegas terms, because most people in Vegas aren't entrepreneurial-based. Right. Everyone's uh, industry-based for the entertainment. So there's not as much intellectual capital, I guess you could say, in a, in a lighthearted way uh, right. that exists. Um, and then after those two episodes, the download just like tanked. <laughs> and I was getting like 10, 15 ups, downloads an episode for about four months. And it took me four months to get back to that peak. And I was interviewing anybody from content creators to uh, people that work in the clubs to it led me to like having Jay Wasley from Ghost Stars on there and the Wynn family and the Fertitta family. And if you go through the history, politicians, I had Clark County Commissioner Michael Neft, who was... Uh, in the fraternity uh, with me, not at the same time. So it was really tapping into like the, the Jewish networks. There's a lot of entrepreneurs there. And uh, people started really figuring out what was going on and what I was doing. And by episode about 65, I was having PR agencies, marketing agencies, local news companies, reporters reaching out to me like, hey, you need to get this person on the show. You need to get this person on a show. And I was living in literally like a 400 square foot apartment, which I still do, like as big as this garage. And there, I, I'll never forget, um, there was, I think his name is Jeff Abraham. He runs Promescent. It's a crazy sexual performance company. It's very successful. He walked in and he was just like, I remember these days. And I was like, yeah. You know, because a lot of people would, be, would come in as friends and they'd be like, do you think this is like a professional place to be having, you know, these very successful people? And to me, I was just like, if they like me and the content's good, then they'll come in and they'll, they'll have conversation with me. Yeah. And so I continued to pursue this. And then March 2021 is forever a day that'll uh, completely, that completely pivoted my crypto um, life. I was following crypto, never gave up, always investing. There's this thing and it's going to sound very strange, but, it w but uh, I'll, I'll complete it towards the end of this conversation. As NFT started to blow up at the beginning of 2021. And explain to people what an NFT is just and, so. And so don't yeah, know. an NFT is basically, it's just digital ownership. This is something that's never existed. Um, there, When you think of like the idea of right click save, that's like what pe how people make fun of it, right? It's just a picture, but I could right click save it. But these tokens, the the certificate of authenticity lives on the blockchain and you own the pa essentially the password to it to prove that you own it. So... If you look through before NFTs, the way to prove that you own something or create it on the internet is if you look at photography and memes, it's watermarks, right? You put your name engraved somewhere where they right. can't like crop it out kind of right. thing. But here you can take the the NFT version of that. And the NFT isn't just monkey pictures selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's uh, metaverse land, skins and games, uh, photography, music, pretty much any si any sort of data file you can put on a blockchain because a blockchain is essentially just a decentralized database or spreadsheet. Imagine the entire world's information or owner uh, information of ownership is on a database and anybody could go audit it at any time to prove that you own it. It just com it shows just complete transparency to the world. Right. Obviously, there's it, numbers and stuff. It is weird that like the promise of crypto and NFTs and whatnot is this basically unfuckable system of verification, but we're seeing a bunch of fuckery yeah. with ownership of stuff and scams and whatnot. It's like a really weird dichotomy where it's like, okay, if we can get there and get it working, well, the blockchain is a proven source of information to prove ownership. 
but we've got to get through all the fraud first yeah. when people are getting ripped off of their ownership. It's a weird dichotomy when and, you, when and you that's from human the outside nature. looking in. And it's human nature is kind of that way. Human uh, In the real estate business, people get ripped off with fake deeds before they came in with like some sort of system. Right. It, this kind of is just uh, transpired throughout human history. And so as NFT started to blow up, I started kind of watching them for a little while. And then March 12th, 2021, there's this thing called the Mooncat Rediscovery, right? So Mooncats are, at the time, they were considered the second oldest NFT project to ever exist. Today, now, they're considered probably the 30th. And it spawned this idea or this this niche industry that's growing that I most actively participate in now from an investing standpoint called NFT archaeology or historical NFTs, right? So once they started going up, people began to realize like, oh, if these NFTs, because the primitive version of an NFT is art and collectibles. So just make sure that's kind of what helped to go, go. That's just that humans inherently are collectors. We've been like that since the Stone Age, collect rocks and put them in caves and flowers and, and so not. So people were getting to have this idea of like, if NFTs are the the future of art and and uh, digital artistry, what about the NFTs that existed before they started blowing up, right? Like we know these auction houses and the, the Van Goghs and the Mona Lisa's are priceless at this point. Right. There's got to be some of those that exist beforehand. So people start going through the blockchain history. People start going through Google typing in digital or crypto art and collectibles and started going through different blockchains, finding all of these like essentially abandoned NFT projects because NFTs weren't popular then to then uncover them and then kind of like bring a new story to it, which is the art history. So this is like, this would be kind of like uncovering the artist who Da Vinci learned from. It's yeah. It's, It's like, we know Da Vinci's are priceless, but if someone discovered that like, oh, there was a guy who was, who was actually teaching him and taking notes in a book and whatnot, we found that book. You're, you're trying, you're trying to like data mine for value. Yeah, essentially here though, you're instead of finding the person, you're finding the smart contract because you're disintermediating everything. Got it. And so ultimately now fast forward a little bit. So I found Mooncats. I took, at this time, this is when Dogecoin, I was buying Dogecoin around a quarter of a penny. And of course, Dogecoin went to 70 cents. I sold way too early. Uh, but I had enough money where I, I, at the time in February, I sold all my Dogecoin too early. I think around like five cents. Um, so to watch it go to seventy cents, you're like mother, right? You know. But uh, at that point, I, I was sitting at the computer, and I thought to myself, I could literally hit sell right now, and I'll I will won't have to work for years. And to me, growing up very poor, grew up on the east side of Vegas, went to a high school where graduation rate was under fifty percent. Um, had to work for every single dollar that I've done my entire life. That was like an opportunity where I was like, I would be crazy not to just press sell because I've been dumped on for the last three years. Right. And so hit the sell button. So uh, you're not like a rich Jewish kid from the West no. side of, of Beverly Hills <laughs> where it's like, I had 200 grand to piss away and whatever. I got the rug pulled out. That's a, at the time, just, you know, bus boy at Omnia going through college. When you got the rug pulled, that's the most money you've ever had in your that entire was the life. Most, that was, yeah, that was my entire net worth. I've been supporting my parents like pretty much my entire life since I've had a job. When I had my bar mitzvah, I was the only person of my class that didn't have a party because I didn't have money for it. I was subsidized by the temple to go there. I didn't have to pay money to go. All everyone else was paying like 1500 a month. Right. Um, went, to, went to UNLV for free off of like grants and financial aid and stuff like that. So once I hit sell button, I just started, I took a breath, started watching things. This moon cat rediscovery happened. And because I owned an antique store for two years, the idea of digital antiquities completely made sense. I was like, holy shit, light bulb moment. 
So I took like half of what I was made from Dogecoin and just like bought a bunch of these crazy pixelated moon cats. There's 25,000 of them. And from that time, I started following this like NFT archaeology movement. And it led me to, at one point, selling a Genesis Mooncat in August of 2021. So out of 25,000, there's 96 black and white cats. I sold one of them for 70 ETH at the time, which was about $210,000. And then- You sold a picture of a black and white cat that you discovered on the internet for $270,000? 210, yes. $210,000. But then, then the story evolves to where a few weeks later, I get a message from this guy named Michael and he says, hey, I work for Sotheby's Auction House. Uh, we've been following you and we're very interested in early generative art. Would you be interested in selling at the auction house? I didn't know what, what Sotheby's was. So I had to go look. I had to go look on it. <laughs> I, had to, I had to go look on the internet. And uh, I look up and it's like Sotheby's Auction House. And then eventually I come to figure out, I'm like, oh, this is like the world's largest auction house. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I would love this. So I sign up for it. They squeeze me in. Apparently I was the last person. And so there was 19, uh, 19 sellers, 52 lots. Uh, this, uh, it was all online. So we, we got in a few Twitter spaces. Uh, two of the other sellers that aren't crypto natives are Paris Hilton and Steve Aoki. And so then there's a bunch of others. So I went in Twitter spaces, got to talk with like Steve Aoki and Paris Hilton and all these other crypto people. And my Twitter account went from like 2,000 followers to, to f over 5,000 followers in like a few weeks. I got to tell Steve Aoki in, in this like Twitter spaces, you know, I'd bust your tables at the nightclub, like this whole cool story. People, people really fell for it or not fell for it. People really found like a lot of interest in it, started following me. And at the time, the auction, I think it was October 26 of 2021, put three moon cats up. Those sold for a little over a hundred thousand dollars between three of them. So I had two 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 big sales and this was the time where i realized that i needed uh, to completely pivot what i was doing this was my entry point to become to to find myself in crypto i always wanted to be in crypto i didn't want to work for anybody i always wanted to do do my own thing and simultaneously while this was happening for my podcast we'll go back about 6 months to april of 2021 this woman reaches out to me when i'm doing the guest list and she says, "Hey, I'm a big fan of your show." And the guest list was your your Vegas pot Vegas 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 centric podcast. Got it, got it. This woman reached out to me and she says, "Hey, I'm a big fan of your show. Would you like to come to Blackfire Innovation? I think we should talk." And I have no idea what this place is. I thought I was walking into just like a law office. I walk up to this building at the outside. It says Harry Reid Research and Technology Park, UNLV, and I look. It's this big ass property, and I pull up to this building, and it's five stories. And I'm like, what? am I walking into right now? I walk in, there's like 3D printing machines and esports arenas and all kinds of crazy computer or computer stuff. And so I end up talking with her and she's like, hey, big fan of show. You're techly minded. We're trying to turn this place into become a tech hub for Las Vegas. You're into blockchain, blah, blah, blah. So we start hosting blockchain meetups there essentially. And so over that course, I end up creating a company called Native Research with uh, my business partner, Chris. And it's, that's kind of morphed into a few things, but we always believed that Vegas was going to become a crypto hub. There's so many parallels between it. So as I had this, the the NFT thing was blowing up simultaneously with like creating this uh, and bootstrapping the, the Las Vegas crypto community and figure out who's here. About the end of 2021, I'm like, 
you know, maybe this is just time where I just co completely pivot everything into crypto. I now have a following in the Las Vegas community. I have a following in the crypto community. It's going to be a little bit of a stretch to pull this because everyone on crypto is just like digitally native and mostly nerds who sit behind the computer 16 hours right. a day. But I'm going to make this happen. And so then I pivot the podcast, change it from the guest list to Jake Allen podcast, focus mostly on NFTs and crypto now. And then uh, Native Research, we held meetups. Um, and and it, it grew to the point where I had the gaming control board people coming out, people from like U.S. Bank, people from the Gaming Institute coming and talking, people from the city of Las Vegas. And, and now it's now we've started this whole movement to where different organizations on the strip come and reach out to me, strip and throughout the city to uh, figure out what's going on in this crypto community. How do they get involved? And this is where like the strategy up until the point where Andrew Yang's team at forward party reached out to me last week and so now because he, they reached out to me they said we heard you're the guy to talk to andrew is uh diving into crypto he believes that it's going to be a pivotal point to uh his candidacy or whatever he does in the future let's do a meetup when he's in town so uh may 20th we're going to do a, a meetup with him at I'm very Taverna upset very upset that i'm going to be in cabo <laughs> that weekend because um i don't agree with everything that andrew yang kind of discussed on his presidential campaign um i'm not a big fan of like uh ubi quiet, yeah ubi universal basic, basic income. Um, i'm not a huge fan of it uh but i like the fact that he was intellectually congruent like you could tell he wasn't just pulling the data and then shifting his opinion and then he wasn't just like okay what does the dnc want me to say or what does the rnc want me to say it's like everything he talked about it's like well even if i disagree like you're at least intellectually congruent and it seems like your heart's in the right place where you want to make the country a better place. So I'm, I'm really bummed out. I'm not going to be able to, to be there and meet him because it seems like super interesting. Um, feel free to come use the studio if you want a podcast. Oh, um, please. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so tell me, we're, we're filming this on May 12th. We'll probably get this out next week of 2022. The crypto markets are in an absolute like downward death spiral. Um, I, I think I saw, and maybe Chris can fact check me on this. I think Bitcoin's down like 20, 30%. I saw a bunch of stuff that's down, whatever. And I know I've put, you know, 500 bucks in here, a thousand bucks in here, just taking people's advice of people I trust. And cause I'm just like, oh, like maybe five or 10% of my savings should go to this just in case one day this is the standard. And so I think total I've put in, call it $40,000 over three years. And I think the height, when I go back at Coinbase and I look and the wallets and stuff, the height was probably $89,000. And right now it's around like $14,000. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, well, that's shitty. Um, so, uh, you know, clearly I picked wrong. Um, and that's okay. I'll probably buy a little bit more if smart people like you say that there's still faith in crypto. But what the fuck happened in the last 72 hours? Oh, man. So... Yeah, if we if we go back to the the peak of the market, uh, Bitcoin hit sixty nine thousand, Ethereum hit almost five thousand. At the time it's recording, Bitcoin's at twenty seven thousand, and ETH is at twenty seven thousand, okay. and ETH is at about eighteen hundred. It it has been correcting. I think what's happened over the last three days has kind of just accelerated the the entire process. Essentially, what what started it in this complete meltdown, which I think is probably the fastest evaporation of, of wealth destruction I think we've ever seen. And I saw, and so from one protocol alone, there's a, a blockchain, layer one called Luna, right? Luna, Luna one is a coin, right? It's, yeah, it's a layer one blockchain. And, and uh, it at 
four days ago, it was valued at forty billion dollars. Luna. So Luna. You, it was a trading, top ten. It was a top ten cryptocurrency. So if you were going on Coinbase and you were trading Luna for whatever dollars per share it was, maybe Chris can look up what I Luna think it was. It was a it was a hundred and ten dollars or something. Hundred ten dollars. Now a now it's uh, now it's point zero zero one. It's less than a penny. It went from $167 to 0 .001 in three days. Uh, roughly, yes, roughly. The, pon the Ponzi uh, essentially broke. And there's a reason why. Uh, it, it had this other component to it. There's a few components. And I might not fully have this here because the people who are creating these kind of things are just a uh, complete, either complete a combination of, of DGENs, financial... Uh, like like people who are brilliant in finance and tech. And so there's all these weird combinations of things that combine it. So you have you have Luna, the, the token was called Terra. And or it might be the other way, Terra blockchain and Luna is the token. And then they had this thing called UST. UST is what's called an algorithmic stable coin. So stable, what a stable coin is, is uh, like USDC or USDT. It's basically the idea of having a crypto equivalent of a dollar that's stable at a dollar. And uh, the two most popular, USDC and USDT, are fully collateralized one-to-one. -one. So if there's one if there's one tether, which is USDT or USDC, if one dollar of those exist, then there's one dollar in a bank somewhere. So there's always a redemption uh, withdrawal um, mechanism in place. Over the last two to three years, there's been people trying to create what's called an algorithmic stablecoin, which is basically an uncollateralized stablecoin, um, which keeps its peg, pegged to the dollar, um, in various mechanisms that don't have to do with a one-to-one -one reserve. Right. And so essentially what has happened, the, 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 the only real-world comparison I've seen so far is the George Soros uh, pound peg break when he basically broke the, the pound. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, something like that. But we've seen this before where like Argentina or um, but Venezuela that, or Mexico will be like, we're going to try to peg our currency at 10 pesos to $1. And then it just gets all out of whack. And 15 years later, you know, it's 22 pesos to a dollar. Like, like this is not something breaking like that. And I think we're going to get to the fraud in the moment. But something breaking like that in the currency trading markets is not is not totally weird or unprecedented. But that, that, that though, is like Venezuela and uh, the Germany wine, wine, wine bar or whatever it was. That's hyperinflation, which is a little bit different. Uh, the peg breaking here. So the algorithmic stablecoin, and I'm probably going to lose a bunch of people here of how it worked. So Luna, the, the layer one blockchain, right? Whatever the value of that was is how much UST you could redeem, which is supposed to equal a dollar. So if Luna is $100 then you can redeem 100 UST. But then the other way around, UST, you can always redeem one UST for one Luna. So if 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 UST becomes off of its peg for some reason, and then you have less than a dollar, you could still redeem one Luna. And But then if Luna falls as well, then uh, the redemption process becomes uh, un unwinds. And they did this purposely because then arbitrage companies come in and they create the arb, which then puts the peg back together. And I might have had that a little bit wrong, but that's the essential idea. And for those who don't know what arbitrage is, it's basically you're taking the difference in, in efficiency of a market 
and you're basically profiting off of it. And arbitrage is popular. It's been popular for In everything. For, for everything, yeah. yes. Yeah, you go buy a used car for 35 grand, you sell it to somebody else for 38 grand. Yeah. It's classic arbitrage. Yeah, right. And so and so then with since it is uncollateralized, it's collateralized technically by by Terra, the UST, the 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 stablecoin. But then uh Doquan, who is the founder of it, started announcing publicly that he was going to buy Bitcoin to put Bitcoin in what's called the the Luna uh, Luna Foundation Guard, LFG, right? So the LFG is basically this treasury that helps uh, stabilize the peg whenever the peg breaks. Basically, it's various institutions or companies who come in and start buying up whatever side it is to help the arbitrage to put it together, to keep it together. He announced that he was going to start buying Bitcoin uh, with these funds because it was up to $40 billion, and they had raised a bunch of funds from VCs from from all over. So they know the person who owns and started Luna. Like he's yeah, oh yeah, public. he's public. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he's pretty pretty much an egotistic maniac. Um, and there's a lot of information of him going out there and trolling people and kind of kind of got what he's deserving. But basically, he announced that he was going to start buying Bitcoin. He made this public. So he he ended up purchasing, I think, almost a hundred thousand Bitcoin, fifty thousand Bitcoin. He announced that they were going to purchase $15 billion worth of Bitcoin over six months. Up to this point, they only got up to like $6 billion before it imploded. So he was pushing up the price of, of Bitcoin. And if, if you're backing your stablecoin with Bitcoin as it goes up, then obviously you're going to have a, a, an extra amount in the reserve, right? Because it's appreciating. But if it goes the other way and it starts, Bitcoin starts unwinding, the peg breaks, and then if the peg breaks either way, then people have to come arbitrage. But then if there's an arbitrage and Bitcoin's unwinding, then the people who are keeping it together basically won't have the funds to keep it together. So is this an accident, or is this a pump no. and dump by so, the guy who owns Luna? So so here's what happens. So uh, Doquan, or Duquan, he was trolling. He started trolling billionaires and the internet. And he started saying that he, every other stablecoin was essentially efficient. He, there's another popular stablecoin stable that's a fully collateralized decentralized one called DAI. And he said that DAI is going to die by me. And uh, he started saying that everyone else is poor. And so what so one person did is they went and they bought 100,000 Bitcoin for about a billion dollars. And they basically had a George Soros attack where they basically... What they basically did is, and now it's going to go a little bit technical, there's something called the Curve, which is another DeFi protocol, and it was it's called a, dirt, a Curve 3 pool, where it had three different assets in one that kind of balances everything. They were going to move to something that's called a 4 pool. So in the 3 pool, it had USDT, it had Luna, and it had another coin, right? They are going to move to a 4 pool to then have Bitcoin added, uh, added to it. While they are making that transition to it, in the three pool, they had to remove liquidity from this three pool and move it into the four pool. Somebody who had that 100,000 Bitcoin began started shorting it in clips of, I think at the first one was like 100 million, then 300 million. And so then the peg started breaking and the USDT peg broke from $1 to 98 cents. And so then these uh, the Luna Foundation guard started trying to buy it up to push the peg back. But then while they were doing this, the person was 
shorting and selling Bitcoin. So he's pushing the price of Bitcoin down. So as the and what was his, what would his value of doing that be? Because because it's an inefficient market. This person ended up profiting nine hundred million dollars um, in three days off of this attack. Off of but what was he buying? Because like if you're shorting your own Bitcoin, so, you're trying so, to push the price down. By oh, selling. No, so so this is what. So sorry, I got it wrong. So basically, what he did is he he bought. Oh, that's what it was. He bought about a billion dollars in USDT. Oh, and it. then started uh, shorting USDT by buying Bitcoin and pulling the liquidity out. So he started unraveling the peg on both sides at the same time. And the uh, the Luna Foundation and different VCs tried to come in and uh, keep the peg up, but they didn't have enough. And so basically just like started unwinding. And at that point, as it started unwinding, this is $40 billion. And in Luna. And and this, well, the market cap was forty billion dollars, and then the USDT market cap was I think twelve billion. So you have about fifty billion dollars beginning to unwind. Then you have an, a classic bank run, right? If something's unwinding, people right. are just going to try to pull as much money as possible. So the peg went from the USDT peg went from one dollar to sixty cents, and um, oh. and then you and then uh, Luna began so, just so something that was always supposed to be pegged at a dollar for a dollar fell to 60 cents. Yeah, and then it came back up and now it's just oh. now now I think at time it's recording it's 30 cents. And there there's oh. a few different mechanisms in there that uh that fan, they they the, the Luna Foundation now they they actually turned off the blockchain. They ended up printing more Luna because of these like different mechanisms that are very complex. So this wasn't like the owner of Luna walking away with 30 billion dollars. It was it was kind of like you said between shorts and run on the bank this was like a this was just an old school banking maneuver like in yeah the, in the 20s the i think it was the kennedys used to paint the tape where they would do the other thing like you and i would pick a stock you would buy it for a buck i'd buy it for a buck two you buy it for, yeah. for a buck four i'd buy and we just push up the price and everybody like oh my god there's a run on the stock we got to get in and then that would create they this momentum it. now we get to five bucks you and i would sell it and laugh all the way to the bank because the stock was never worth a buck fifty much less five bucks so this is like this is just like new financial markets getting hustled. Yeah, the basically one person saw the efficiency, and there was a bunch of people in crypto telling uh, Duquan that there was a way for people to basically break the peg and then therefore just unravel the entire ecosystem. Also, there's another thing on Luna called Anchor, where basically if you take USDT and put in Anchor, they're giving you 20, 20% APY. Right. And so then people had their funds locked up in various places. And so then once you start shorting everything, people start freaking out. And then not everything could get redeemed. And so then everything right. keeps unraveling. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is tanking. And then when Bitcoin is the macro mover of the market, it's a reserve of crypto. So what if Bitcoin's going down fast, everything else is going to, there's nothing else that's going to go fast. And everything else is going to be way more volatile than it. Yeah. So Bitcoin dropped from 35K down to 27K, which is, literally probably a few hundred billion dollars in a move just from Bitcoin and everything else is just immediate tanking. So, Hey Chris, can you Google total crypto market cap loss last three days or something like I that? I think it's close to a trillion dollars at this point. Holy close to God. a trillion. Yeah. So I saw, I saw a graph that, that showed the amount of capital lost, um, not just in crypto, but the stock market and everything over the last few months and it's about 16% of wealth destruction. This isn't including the real estate market. And when they went to the 08 crisis, that's at 19%. So we're getting close to... to 1.2 trillion is gone. So Chris just looked it up. Yeah. 1.2 trillion gone in... Uh, about in three, four days. Three, four days. Yeah. 
it's uh, they said people are saying it might have been it might be the fastest capital destruction ever in, yeah because in, at least in 08 09 you know it was you could see the tidal wave coming but it was kind of slow and then and then the banks had a bunch of parachutes they could pool to like well you can stay in your house and we won't foreclose it and then there was this thing called mark to market where like overnight the government was going to do this thing where you had to drop the value of like your servicing portfolio and all the stuff that goes along with mortgage value but it was a slow tidal wave it wasn't like what you're describing is if 08 09 2010 2011 if all the foreclosures in the united states hit in three days that's mm -hmm. basically kind of what we just experienced and i think we probably have we're probably going to go lower. Um, crypto, because as we mentioned, is pegged to the mar stock market right now. This is also with a macro backdrop of uh, quantitative tightening. Uh, we have war going on. We might have a, a wheat famine across the across the, the world. Massive inflation pr Mass problem. Yeah, massive. In oh, that was the same day as the CPI print of 8%. Like, it's just like, it literally could not be a worse situation. And although all this did happen, Bitcoin and Ethereum actually held up much better than I anticipated. And the, this sent a shockwave, and I think it's going to be months to maybe even a year before all this gets settled out. Because from what I've been hearing, a lot of uh, funds and VCs have been wiped out. And even, like, they're saying people, things like uh, the Washington Redskins had money in there and, like, all yeah. these other companies. You think $40 billion, that's, like, that's no small amount of money. Right, right. And the thing that hurts is I think most people who end up getting caught up in it is retail because – they're like, oh, stablecoin, take stablecoin, put it into this anchor bank on Luna, get 20%, and they just don't understand what's happening. So it's just, there. there's literally, uh, if you go to the Luna Reddit subreddit, people are talking about the Frank committed suicide and like people lost $450,000. Mm. It's like, it's a really, really dark time. If you go in there, it's really, really grim. They have the suicide hotline posted and to the top and people just saying like, this is the same thing that happened in the 2018 uh, crypto crash as well. But this is just much more wealth that's just been uh, evaporated. Oh, brutal, man. The The only corollary I can think of, and I actually used to come to Vegas. We, we probably met each other at the Omni at some point. I used to come to Vegas a lot in my 20s. Oh, no, no. I was married by the time you were working there. Never mind. So you probably went to Pure, though. Yeah, we never we never met each other. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but I remember uh, I hung out with a lot of professional poker players and there was Black Friday where the FBI came in and <laughs> shut down all the online poker sites. And I knew a lot of people who had at least tens of thousands of dollars, which in poker, that's not only your net worth, that's your trade of doing business. Because if you don't have money to sit down with and play poker, not only is your net worth gone, but your tool of the trade is gone and um, I knew people that, you know, net worth was maybe $200,000 and two thirds of it was on full tilt poker and party poker and it was gone. And then I do know one person who luckily did not commit suicide. He had close to a million dollars. And that was probably 80, 90% of his net worth because he thought he was diversified on a bunch of different poker sites. So even if one of them ended up cheating and like took him, you know, took him down, he's like, whatever, that's only like a 10th of my net worth I can rebuild. But he had probably 90% of his net worth on poker. Uh, on poker sites and you know you just go black friday the black screen of death the fbi has shut it down and repossessed the servers oh, and it's, it's like, so pain um, and that was nowhere near the amount of wealth that we're talking about in crypto um so so then what's next like for somebody like you who believes in it somebody like me who's a libertarian and wants to believe in it what's next do you just let this all shake out over the next year and maybe it's going to come back with some better protocols and maybe even some regulation or is like now a buying opportunity <laughs>